Our scripture reading today is taken from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. We welcome you to Toronto this uh, sunny day, a hot day if you're beyond the city. Um, We're getting into summer weather, so the seasons keep moving along. As we've been thinking of God coming towards us, God always coming towards us. God always has his eye on you, always coming to you, always aware of you, and wants to be in relationship with you. Last week we looked at the theme of God's inhabitation, that he, he lives within us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Parent, Son, Holy Spirit lives within us. So it's a wonderful truth from the Upper Room Discourse. Today we push on a little bit in the discourse uh, to John 17, and we come to this idea of uh, knowing God and knowing God in um, intimacy, that that's his desire. We might say the whole evolutionary process is for us to come to a point where we might know God and God might know us in an intimate relationship. That that's the seems to be the will of God for humanity, that we can come to this incredible place where we are also called sons or daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. So we're invited to know him. And when Jesus goes to his prayer, his high priestly prayer, John 17, his first unit there is on the reality of knowing God, knowing him in intimacy. So we might have on the screen here uh, not to know God simply as a symbol an idea, a philosophy, a science, a number, a space, eternity even, or certainly a dead idol. God God is not just those things at all. So when we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about knowing about him as an idea or theory, but we're talking about knowing him. So when John talks about knowing God and knowing Christ, It's always an experiential piece that we might know him. That's the idea of the Hebrew and Greek words, to know personally, to know the characteristics, to know in experience. So remember the story that we had with Moses, and Moses hears the voice of God from the burning bush and is told the name of God, and the name of God is I am who I am. So it's a play on the word to be. But one of the fundamental points here is that God is I am, present tense. So God always reveals himself to us in the present tense. It's I am who I am. And so you are relating to me in the I am. And that's that's the key. So we're always knowing God now in the present tense and beyond, always in the present tense. Not in some future tense, 
not in some past tense. But I am who I am. God always is there in the present for you and for me. So to have a living relationship, to know God in an ongoing way, in an intimate way, that, that's what we're looking at today in terms of a God who comes towards us. So it's just a turn, if you like, on the piece that we saw last week of the inhabitation of God. Now it's knowing God. So we think perhaps of the psalmist in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. I know for a lot of you in the church family here at Weston Park, that's a favorite psalm. It's a reality that you know me. And I have confidence that you know me here and now in whatever my reality is. Your reality right now, June 2021. God knows you, God knows me, each of us in the present tense. And so with that in mind, then, we go to this prayer, John 17, just a little bit of it. By the way, it's the longest prayer that we have in the New Testament. interesting, and it's known as Christ's high priestly prayer because it sums up the upper room discourse, chapters 13 to 17. Immediately after this, he and the disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So John 17, 1, 2, after Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So this is the setup to the emphasis on knowing. So this just kind of frames the story. So we we hear that Jesus now has finished his main teaching time, chapters 13 through 16 of John, and now he, he launches into this prayer. So he he readies himself, if you, if you like. He has this moment of awareness where he pauses and he, he looks up to heaven. He is centering himself so that he can enter into his prayer, just like we need to do, to have awareness, to recognize where we are before we launch into prayer. We, we speak. And then we note his first word is the word pater or Abba. So you notice After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, which is Abba, pater equals Abba, this intimate relationship. That's the first word. And in fact, all of the prayers of Jesus in in all of the Gospels includes this word pater or Abba. My dear father, my dear parent. It's a picture of intimacy. The child, the son with the parent, with the father. So we, we've spoken about this many times here at Weston Park, is that we are invited also to know God as Abba. I mean, Paul says, and because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. So we are invited to know God as Abba, even as Jesus models for us. So it's just a reminder, we've heard that before, but it's this kind of intimate relationship that Jesus is talking about, and then he He says, Father, I want you to be glorified, and I want to know the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. I I want to talk about glory, our glory that we share. Glory is the Greek for doxa, and it has to do with light. It has to do with illumination. It's the illumination, if you like, of God's character. I want your character to be revealed. That's what praise is all about. 
I want you to be made holy in all the earth, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want you to be holy in all the earth. I want your glory to be revealed. And I want the glory that you have given me to be revealed. And so he says there, the hour has come. Note, Father, the hour has come, verse 1, which is a reference to the cross. That in the Jesus story, this moment has finally come, the critical hour, and the hour is the cross. And, and God's glory is revealed on the cross because God comes, and if you like, he dies for us, Father, Son, Spirit, on the cross. They're not separate in that way. God sacrifices himself, if you like, or presents himself to us in this pattern of love, which we're invited to experience. The hour has come. The hour points to the crucifixion. Now, it seems to me that this reminds us a bit of the theme that we had last week. And last week, we talked about the foolishness of God, 1 Corinthians that a lot of ways God works seems to be foolish. And so the world, John says, doesn't get God. Not really. Cosmos doesn't understand. The world, our cultures, are about power and dominion, power over wealth, possessions. You know what it's all about. That, that's what the world understands. And so the idea of a crucified Christ, we were reminded, was a shame, a blasphemy to Israel, and was foolish to the Greek and Roman culture. But Jesus here refers to the cross. And what is foolishness to us seems to be rather important to God and the divine family. So something is amiss. Something is happening in our lives that requires God to demonstrate his love in this way. And Paul would say that that is the issue of dealing with our sin in whatever way that flies. Your sin. My sin. You know, we, we all are sinners, right? I hope we realize that. I certainly do. I mess up every day. Don't want to do things, whatever it might be. You stumble, bumble. Fall, we got to get back up. And God deals with all of that. None of us are perfect. Only Christ is the perfect one. And so Jesus says, hey, the hour has come. So this is the moment, hey, this is the moment which points to the cross, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ for you and for me. Christ breaks through the death barrier. If we're going to follow him through the death barrier, then we need to know him. We need to be holding on to the hem of his garment to get through there. That's, that's the way it is, man. So that, that's how Jesus sets things up here in the, in the prayer of the Upper Room Discourse. So what looks like defeat to the world is victory for Christ. Notice at the end of John 16, in the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. He says that, and then he launches right into the hour has come, which is the cross. 
So that's how Jesus sets things up. He moves on, verses 2-3, which is really our critical verses, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may know you. This is the life. And so then the impact of God, the Son, and God's glory is that we might receive life. And we've, and we've talked about this before. We've gone through the whole upper room discourse at various times. And life is zoe, the Greek word zoe, and it talks about this abundant life, this quality and quantity of life, of abundance. And by the way, it's a life that already begins. If God inhabits us, then we already experience eternal life. Of course, we don't see that right now because we have these frail bodies, but our spirit already is there. The devil says, no, 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 you don't experience any of that. That's all crap. Jesus says, no, if we have life now, we actually have life. So when we come to death, we just pass through. We're already in life. That's what Jesus is saying. We have eternal life. Life in quantity, life in quality. It's a wonderful promise. That's where Jesus goes. And it's not knowing about him, it's that we might know God. Eternal life is that we might know God. We begin knowing God now, and into the future we continue knowing God. There's never a point in our eternal destiny where we know God completely. It's always a revelation. It's like peeling an onion. It just keeps going and going and going and going. That is knowing God. To know the experience of God as creator and redeemer. To know him in this holistic way. That's what Jesus prays. That they might know you. And so our invitation when God comes towards us all the way through the Old Testament to the New Testament is the fact that God wants us to know him. And it's a knowing that affects both our intellect and our will. And we'll see that, of course, we have to feed that. We, we have to join into that conversation, but we'll save that for a moment. To know God in our mind, our heart, our soul. Jesus says to the lawyer, where they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is what knowing God is about. It's the same in Old Testament and New Testament. So it's knowing the richness of the Godhead. To know him as our Abba. The beauty of Abba. Now what is really cool here? is that the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, the divine family, if you like, adjusts themselves so that they can speak to all of our hearts and minds. Everyone. So everyone in Weston Park Baptist Church, let's just start there. We have a couple of hundred people. And everyone is invited to know God. But God adjusts himself the family, so that he speaks to your heart and my heart with your capacity, my capacity, with your ability, my ability, with, with, with all the nuances of your person, of my person. We're all different. Even in your family, you look around. Every, everybody's different. They're, it's amazing how different people are. And God, if it was just generic and God presents himself one way to everybody, well, then some are going to know him more than others. 
But the reality is, is God can speak to everybody, seven and a half billion people on the planet, and God speaks personally. And somebody might have the IQ of Einstein, and they are invited to know. And someone else, you know, is, is, what can I say, just an ordinary folk like all of us. And, And God reveals himself to us. Because he adjusts himself, and that's the beauty. You know, you don't have to be Thomas Aquinas so you can know God. We all know him. And so that, that's a lovely truth, a lovely reality. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. So that's our invitation. We might know him. So Jesus sets up the prayer, invites us to know him, all of us to know him. And then, of course, we recognize, well, we have to participate in that. You, you know, you can't just throw up your hands in despair, in despair and just say, God, it's all up to you now. It's on your shoulders, man. You've got to reveal yourself to me because I've tried so hard and I just simply can't do it. You might feel that way, but it doesn't work that way. God says his yes to us and we have to say our yes to him whether it's in the good time or whether it's in the dark night of the soul. So there is something that speaks to our effort and our will. We have to enter in. Coretta writes, we cannot listen to God's yes without offering him our yes. That's it. If you don't offer him your own yes, then God will not overpower you. God will not dominate you. God will not treat you as an as an omaton, he, he respects you, respects me, all of us. So do we want to enter into that relationship? And so there is this dimension of our part of the process. If I want to know God, that's God's desire, then I have to say yes and enter into that relationship. So the Gospel of John is often called the Gospel of belief. And that word to believe... It plays a big part. And, and believe is, is not just an intellectual assertion in agreement that, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus. Believe is meant to be a commitment. It's, it's my statement that, yes, it's my yes, it's your yes. So it's more than just an intellectual assertion. It's a commitment in energy and activity. That's what believe means. So if you say you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that means you then will follow him as Savior. You and I need to walk the line. Keep walking the line. Whatever that phrase means to you, walk the line. We engage. That's part of the deal. So we take prayer, for example. Prayer as an attitude. Prayer prayer is not just... A few words, right? Prayer is your yes, my yes. It's a whole openness to God saying, I want to be in conversation with you. Prayer is an attitude. That's our experience. So in the Old Testament, Israel was depicted as a bride. And the church in the New Testament is pictured as a bride. The bride is to know God, to be in relationship with him. And we are part of that bride, and we are to say yes to God in that way. So we are invited to know him. 
So I love the statement by Jeremiah, no longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. <clears throat> no, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. They will all know me. All of us know him. That's the invitation. And Jeremiah saw that coming way back 700 years before Christ. There'll come a time when we will all know him, not just a few prophets in Israel, but we will all know him. In our own way, we know him and experience him. So then we need to be committed to that reality and to that engagement of knowing. That's the biggest piece in your life, really, my life. We've said it before, it's, it's much bigger than anything else. Bigger than career, bigger than, you know, interests. I love to dive. Diving's a hobby, but hey, man, your life is about something bigger than that, whatever it might be. To know God, to experience God, to become fully human. That's the story, to become fully human. You cannot become fully human unless you know God, unless you experience him, unless you open your heart to him. That's what John is saying, and that's certainly what Jesus is saying. That they may know you, God, and they may know Jesus, whom you have sent, the Son whom you have sent. Curious phrase. It's to know God, the divine family. So if you like the whole evolutionary story, let, let's just take that as a metaphor. So the metaphor is the universe starts 13 billion years ago, right? That's, that's what science teaches us. Six and a half billion years ago, the, the earth starts to form. And then relatively recently, a few million years, whatever that number is, humanity here. And the, the, the story is that this new group, humanity, might know God as creator and Redeemer, story that starts way back 13 billion years. That's a long time. So that you and I might know the Creator and the Redeemer. Now, what, you know, whatever you think of that metaphor, that picture, you may agree, disagree. That, that's not important. The piece is that. God reveals himself in a way that we might say yes and know him and love him and worship him, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of crises, even in the midst of changes in your life and you feel the whole thing is chaos, even when you can't pay your bills, even when you're on this, you, know, you don't have employment. The bigger picture always remains the same, to know God. The horizon is always full of hope for us who know him. And we go through our trials, for sure. Hebrews talks a lot about that. We go through them. But we're invited to go through them with the divine family who inhabits us and who wants us to know him. So Coretto has this little statement I close with, to know God then, beyond yourself, beyond your limits, beyond your poverty, beyond your sin, 
beyond human history, beyond death. That's knowing God. That's knowing Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. So I pray in the midst of your crazy world right now that you might take a few moments to remember that, hey, I know God, and if I know God, I've already got the best thing. I know God in Jesus, and the Spirit is in me. He inhabits me, and they want me to know them, the divine family. May we know him, all of us. May we say yes, offer these words to you this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.